This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Zoe Rose Bryant's interview with the director and writer for A Thousand and One, Baby Rockwell. Is that a nest? At the ponds and the weeds. I thought she moved to another shelter. No, you know I was in Rutgers. I really missed you, girl. Yeah, and apparently these roots too. What you been doing? What you been doing? Nothing yet the roots makes you think. Terry, just let me see your eyes so I know you're not mad at me. I'm staying out of trouble this time. How are you today? I'm doing good, Zoe. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to be talking with you. I'm a huge fan of the film. Just saw it last week. I think it's incredible. Um, And I think the first thing I wanted to ask you was, obviously, this is your feature film directorial debut. And why this film? Why was this the story you wanted to be your first statement as a feature film director? Yeah, I think it was it was a very personal film and the ways that it uh, it just spoke to like I, I grew up in New York, you know, so I think I, I wanted to tell a story that just like was reflecting on uh, the journey that I went through to, you know, just uh, coming of age in the city and then saying farewell to what was my version of the city. So I, I think that's what first compelled me. But uh, but what felt most urgent about making it now was the fact that seeing the the seeing the firsthand impact of gentrification and the ways that was transforming the city, uh, in particular, seeing how black communities, it just felt like we were being erased altogether. It wasn't like demographic demographics were just shifting around. It just seems like we were being pushed out of, of the boroughs completely. And so uh, so that was alarming just to see us kind of trending in that way. Um, and, and just understanding the impact of that. I think for neighborhoods like Harlem specifically, that means something not only to New Yorkers, but to, to Black America in general. I mean, it's, it's really like globally considered like the mecca for Black history and culture. So the idea of Harlem being lost to gentrification and all the policies that set the stage for gentrification uh, just felt like, you know, devastating me. It's devastating to me, like a uh, just devastating in the in the loss of uh, you know to black identity and heritage. So so I think that through line was important. I think knowing what's at stake for the most vulnerable, you know, people like Inez and Terry, who they you know what what home means to them, what the idea of having a family and being able to keep a family together means to them, and what so what's at stake for the most marginalized and vulnerable people when things when when uh when changes like gentrification come along. Um, I want people to see that and to think of that, you know, when they're romanticizing the benefits because it doesn't serve them. Um, and so and then I think lastly, I wanted to speak to uh, the the experiences of inner city black women, you know, who are made to feel misunderstood, uh, not only in society, but even within our own communities. Uh, I wanted them to see themselves uh, and feel celebrated, you know, uh, and, and I wanted to use Inez's journey 
to re really present the question to people of like who shows up um, and who fights for us because she spends the whole movie fighting for everybody else. But in the end, she still doesn't fully feel um, seen by them, you know, for, for a large part of what, or, or for, for most of what her journey is in the movie. Uh, she gives so much of, of her love to other people, but she's still fighting for it to return. And I feel like the idea is either, you know, the, the, what's, what's suggested to her is, is that like, you're just not enough in some capacity or another. Uh, and, and and I think that that is something that uh, not only in a city black women go through on a number of levels, but but black women in general. Um, and so I really wanted to acknowledge that um, and, and present that question to people, because I, I think that uh, black people, uh, black people, not black people, uh, black women, <laughs> uh, we, we want to feel loved, you know, and not just needed by everyone else. Yeah, and, and when it comes to Inez and Terry, I felt like they were such specific characters that you knew them so well inside and out. And obviously the performers added to that as well. And I was curious, where, where did they come from? Was that, were they solely fictional creations or were there specific people or stories you were drawing on? Um, I would say, I would see them more as composites. You know, I think there's not one specific person that I that I, I pulled from as inspiration for, for both of them, but I definitely pulled from like, the people in my life, you know, people that I've encountered uh, as as a as I came of age in New York, um, and and also into my, into adulthood, I, even just to people in my life that I saw, you know, them what going through the the foster care system did to, you know, how it impacted them. You know, I really wanted to honor to honor that experience, um, and then of course honor the women that are around me and that 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 nurtured me, um, but who I could see going through pain that had it painful experiences that hadn't been fully addressed um, and going through life experiences that were either ignored or minimized in terms of people just really understanding what their experience is and why they are the way they are, you know, um, and, and having compassion and empathy for them. You know, I just wanted to make people understand what it's like to be in their shoes. Um, so, so yeah, I, I was just trying to be specific. I was also just trying to create a character. I wanted to see like, it just in Inez in a way that she's empowered and she's a force of nature. I wanted to see a character like her who, regardless of how powerless, you know, she could, you know, she should feel, she always felt empowered to take life by the horns and 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 be in charge of her own destiny as to, to the best of her ability. And, and for better or worse, she was always just like her self-determination was always very clear. Um, and so uh, I, I wanted to see that as well and make sure that even though, the story of these characters rendered in a way that felt honest and, and true to life, um, you still felt like they were empowered um, and, and, and that they weren't just kind of like letting life happen to them, you know. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, and I think Tayana personifies that so well. That performance is just incredible. And I was curious, too, what it meant for the two of you to work together, because obviously this is your featured directorial debut, and I believe it's her first time headlining a film, too, and what that relationship looked like and how you kind of brought out the best in each other. Yeah, I, I think uh, we did exactly that. I think uh, in many ways we were able to bring out the best in each other. Um, and, and I think we, it's also just, you know, 
it, it's beautiful that like this is a story that is personal for both of us in a number of ways. Um, and so I think to for it to be special, but for it being my first time as a feature film director, her first time as a leading lady, uh, but us also us being able to share the experience of honoring our city as New Yorkers. Um, I, I think that there were a number of levels that we were able to just like kind of enjoy being able to like uh, enjoy this experience with each other. And then having a sisterhood, I think uh, just, you know, as two women being able to empower each other um, and be there for each other, be supportive for each other um, in this in this journey has been wonderful. And also, um, Terry, I just think of the initial child actor who plays him and he did such an incredible job. And it's not always easy, I think, to get a performance that real and raw and authentic out of a child actor. So I was curious how you went about, you know, directing him and what that relationship looked like. Yeah, I mean, Aaron, I think I could tell, you know, just from working with him when he was still like being considered for the role, like I could feel his intentionality and I could feel the intensity of like even just small, subtle decisions that he would make. Um, and I and I felt I felt his commitment as well. I felt like his work ethic, it just it just shined through. And, you know, and, and that's something that like when you have that at that age, just a level of like, uh, I mean, he. I think he to me, I just saw an actor who was like really like in control of their craft. Um, and that was just so special to see. And, and a child who was literally like six years old. <laughs> You know, and I think working with him, he was such a pleasure and he's and he's not like Terry, like he's a very like so super like, you know, extroverted, super smart, talkative kind of kid, super bright. Um, And so to see him really transform himself for Terry, uh, but also like he always wanted to know, like, like, what was his motivation? Like, what am I doing? But also like, why am I doing it? And, what you know, he really like he really tapped in in all the right ways. And that was really beautiful to see. So Aaron was such a pleasure to work with, along with Avon and Josiah, who, you know, I think working with all the boys was a, was a, a real joy. I'm always fascinated too by, by people who graduate from shorts into feature films and what that transition looks like. And I was curious for you, what do you, what was the biggest, you know, difference between shooting shorts versus feature films and the biggest obstacle? Uh, I think just related to the transition itself, I think the biggest obstacle, uh, or was, yeah, I think it was just like endurance, you know, it's, it's really just a marathon. And, uh, because I think all, all the elements are the same, just in terms of bringing, you know, having a story you want to tell and, and wanting to approach it from the right perspective as a writer and as a, as a director, but it's just, everything is just more, it's just longer. It's just more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you really need to not only be in a position to, um, give the story what it needs, give the project what it needs, but make sure that you're taking care of yourself as well so that you can show up as your best self in all the various stages that you're uh, going to go through in the journey with the, with the movie. It's a very long one. So yeah, you got to have the bandwidth. <laughs> and obviously this film has achieved so much success so far um, with the Sundance Jury Prize. Congratulations. And I'm curious, what, what do you see the future looking like for you? Like, what type of story do you want to tell next? Is there someone you want to work with, a new genre, something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely, you know, some people that I'm like, oh, man, I would love to find the right thing for us to do. Um, and then there's definitely stories that I can't wait. I mean, there are some stories that I can't wait to tell um, that I'm like developing right now or beginning to write. Uh, and so I think that's very exciting. I'm already kind of like in my head you know, and on to the next. Um, and that's exciting because I just want to continue to grow. You know, I think that I've been growing in in ways that uh, it, it may not always be clear from the outside looking in, like, you know, just seeing the full breadth of what I'd like to do and what my interests are as a filmmaker. 
Um, so, so I think just me looking at the long vision of what that entails, I'm excited to just continue charting a path for myself and just telling the stories that I feel like reflect not only who I am, but the ways that I just want to be able to contribute to, to, to movies in general, um, and contribute to society, you know, use my arts to kind of just say things about this, this world we live in and share together. So, so I'm excited and obviously, can't share much about what those stories are now, but I look forward to when it's the right time. And, and just a little bit broader too, what would you like to foresee for the future of Black female filmmakers in general? Yeah, I mean, I'm so excited because I do think that progress is happening. And, and there's so many examples of that. Even like, I think last year alone was a beautiful year. There was so many movies came out that were either critically acclaimed or like just really did wonderful box office or, or both, you know, like, you know, I just think that it was it was an exciting time and you're seeing way more visibility. And that's really exciting and beautiful. I think what I do want is for statistically things to match as well, because I think the last number that I've seen in terms of all the studies about like how much of it actually like working, it's, it was still alarming. It was still like within the last five years, us only representing of two, 2% of working directors in the business. And that's like devastating, you know? Um, and that means that if you are, if there is more than 2% of us actually like visible and, and uh, it's like a lot of that are people that you know, technically it's like, it's, it's a hobby because they're not getting the attention and the support that they need to actually be working in this business, whether that's working in TV, working in movie, uh, movies, I think. So I think I want to see that change dramatically. I want to feel like we are fully empowered and change is really, really happening at a core level and not just the optics, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I think that's a wonderful narrative to leave anything on. I wish you nothing but the best. Again, such a huge fan of you and your work. So thank you. Such a pleasure. Take care. You too. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Zoe Rose Bryant's interview with the writer and director for 1001 A.V. Rockwell here on the Next Best Picture podcast. 1001 will be playing in theaters from Focus Features on March 31st. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, 
and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.